kind of the theology, but the real life of the disciples. Those who failed to stay awake in the Garden of Gethsemane, those that Jesus was hoping would accompany him in his darkest hour, they ran. They ran. But at Pentecost, Jesus had said at Ascension, they were, you know, wait, wait in Jerusalem and I will clothe you with power from on high. Wait in Jerusalem, I will send on you the promised Holy Spirit. Wait, for I will come afresh by my Spirit, the one promised of long ago. That on that morning at nine o'clock, as we will read, that uh, the disciples just gushed into the street and proclaimed Jesus whatever the cost. Something magnificent happened. Uh, the Connect Group started um, in October, I think it was, and there were a bunch of us, eight, ten, twelve of us, give or take, each week. And uh, part of what we do is we, we don't kind of gush from the church, uh, but we, we, with a little bit of trepidation, we go out of those doors and we find a place on the high street, and we have grown a little bit in confidence about talking, meeting, not that we're shy, but do you know what I mean? Actually, up front, intentionally, putting Jesus center stage isn't something that easily happens. If I said, write sermon over, let's go out and find someone and tell them about Jesus, you'd probably go, gulp. Wouldn't you? And, but we've kind of grown in confidence. But for the disciples, in the matter of days, from being disillusioned and encased in a room to flooding out upon the street. Now, obviously, Jesus', Jesus death and resurrection was the catalyst, the ground of that massive change, that they knew he was risen. But it was more than just a head knowledge that as they saw him ascend to heaven, that's the message I preached a couple of weeks ago of ascension, uh, they then were told to wait, to be clothed with power, to be filled with the Spirit, to receive the breath of life. That it wasn't just Jesus said, okay, now you know, that's great, you're the ones who know it. But actually now, I want you to be the ones, the envoys, the ambassadors, the heralds, the witnesses of my resurrection. And you need my Spirit. So let's read the story. It's Acts chapter 2. Verses 1 to 21. Peter isn't a Barack Obama, uh, one of these great orators. There isn't any in the Gospels, as, as far as I can recall, any kind of sense of which Peter stood up and preached. Not only is this the first sermon of the church, it's Peter's first sermon. Amazing. The Spirit does. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. 
When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken, utterly amazed. They asked, aren't, these, aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? How, then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declare, declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. What a great beginning to a sermon. <laughs> They're not drunk. <laughs> We've never begun a sermon like that, have we? We're not drunk. As you suppose, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. And your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above. And signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's worth reminding ourselves that this event, Pentecost, was was in Jerusalem, and there were lots of people there. We've kind of heard of that because there were the Parthians and Medes and Elamites and all those people, the Arabs and those from Rome, both Jews and converts. And basically, if you got an atlas of the known world, wherever you put your finger, there were people from those places who'd come to Jerusalem. Why? Because it was Pentecost. What is Pentecost? Well, it was a Jewish festival, one of the regular festivals in that year. And they gathered in Jerusalem for this feast. Pentecost is the Greek name, 50. Uh, it's the Hebrew name, Shavuot. And it was a festival like our harvest festival. And not that they brought tins of beans with them. But it was a recognition that God provided for them. That they were thankful for God's provision. But not only that, it was a remembrance, a celebration of the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. Back in Exodus 19, we'll read that a little bit later. It happens 50 days after the festival of Passover. And, and there's a great linkage in Passover to Pentecost of what... Jesus does in sending his spirit at Pentecost that fulfills, completes, that kind of, uh, that is given the foreshadow, the taster in the Old Testament of Passover and of Moses' 
climbing Mount Sinai and receiving the law. The festival of God's people, Shavuot, Passover. The, the festival that they had, they had come out of Egypt at Passover where, where God had rescued them. But God had come and judged the, the, the nation of Egypt that was oppressing them and said, I will set my people free. This festival where they would sacrifice the lamb and daub the blood on the post and they would ready themselves for a quick flight out of Egypt to be rescued and they were uh, ushered through the waters of the Red Sea and brought into the newness of life where they were freed from slavery. They were lib- given liberty and freedom. And then God encountered them afresh on Mount Sinai. The parallel for us in this week is Easter recalls our freedom, our liberty, our life that was brought through the sacrifice of another perfect, blameless, spotless lamb, Jesus Christ, of the death that he died and his blood shed that that, uh, dribbled down the cross and uh, as he was nailed there and as he breathed his last... That we should be rescued from death. That we should be released from sin. And Pentecost for the Christian is about giving of the Holy Spirit. We've heard it read. And shapes how we serve God now in that freedom. So let's, let's just read the story in Exodus 19. It's on the screen again. But bear that in mind, this story in Exodus 19, the foundations of the Feast of Pentecost, Shavuot. And we'll see what parallels and what we learn. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, And the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought the answer back to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, go to the people, consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day. Because on the day, the Lord, on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai and the sight of all people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. They are to be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on them. No person or animal shall be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they approach the mountain. After Moses had gone down to the mountain to the people, he consecrated them and washed their clothes. And they washed their clothes. Then he said to the people, prepare yourselves for the third day. 
abstain from sexual relations. On the, on the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of the Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up, and the Lord said to him, Go down and warn the people so they do not force their way through and to see the Lord and many of them perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves or the Lord will break out against them. Moses said to the Lord, the, Lord, the people cannot come up Mount Sinai because you yourself warned us, put limits around the mountain and set as part as holy. The Lord replied, go down and bring Aaron up with you. But the priests and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord or he will break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. Which event would you rather be at? Thank you. Correct answer on the front row. I mean, obviously... I'd have thought, unless you're into CGI, I'm not suggesting CGI was going on in Mount Sinai, but I mean, that would be an epic sight. <laughs> epic. I don't know if you've been following the news recently about uh, dear old President Trump and his desire to, to seem to be in Florida most weekends at uh, his club, Mar El Lago, the Winter White House, as it's called. Um, we're told that uh, it's a pretty exclusive place, that the membership fee doubled to $200,000 a year um, when he became president. And it's a very limited uh, guest list, uh, membership list. Only a few are allowed to be there. It's something that tickles our fancy to be in the in crowd, to be on the VIP list, to be those in the know, those who have special access. Advertisers really rely on that, don't they? They invite us to an exclusive opening. Oh, you know, I'm special. I'm worthy of being there, or a once-in-a-lifetime deal. And suddenly it becomes really more attractive if, if there's only a few spaces left, or it's a limited edition, uh, or it's about to run out. Gosh, we better get it quickly to show that we have it. In the two stories, in the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and the giving of the law in Mount Sinai, there's some huge overlaps and some significant differences. Did you note that, that in, in, in Mount Sinai they were, there was the loud trumpet blast and that fire descended on the mountain? But did you also notice at Pentecost that there was the sound of a violent wind which is also the reminiscent of Elijah's encounter with God on Mount Horeb. And in Pentecost, not only the loud wind, but tongues of fire appeared on the disciples. Do you remember that? In, in some ways, the giving of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost is like that other outpouring of God at Sinai. The divine presence, such as wind and fire, 
But there's also big difference. You heard it. Moses went up to Mount Sinai and the people were torn twice. Don't come near. Stay back. God's presence, too dangerous for them. And they could only be encountered by Moses. And, and then Moses invites Aaron to be part of that moment up the mountain in the giving of the law. There's a special, the few, the privileged, the called, the chosen. Moses, Elijah, Isaiah, those who encountered an amazing, wonderful, intimate experience of their Heavenly Father. The others, well, kept back behind the barriers, kept at bay, lest the revelation might prove too much for them. But not so acts. No one's kept away. The Holy Spirit doesn't just descend on special Peter and beloved John and James or the eleven, but on all the people who were gathered there. And one of the motifs of Acts, is, if you read through the story, is that it keeps happening. The Holy Spirit is poured out. That uh, the, the Holy Spirit kind of meets people, and it ends up in in. In good old Cornelius' house, and Cornelius is a Roman soldier and far from God. You know, he's kind of one of those pagan people. And, and uh, Peter's preaching, and the Spirit falls, and, and Cornelius and all his household, the slaves and the, and the family members and, and the associated business partners, all that extended household were filled with the Spirit when they encountered Jesus. It's no longer just the VIPs. That one of the wonderful features of our Christian faith is that nothing is secret or elusive. Everyone is welcome. That the gospel is freely given. The good news comes to all. Wonderful, I think it was an article, I didn't read the whole article, but in this morning's paper, I think it was the Guardian, of a writer saying, uh, have some respect for the, for the church. Because uh, they, they stand for the poor. I don't know if you've read that, uh, from a, a secular writer. And she's making the point that the church extends good news to everyone. This vital strand that the, the gospel is for us is replete all the way through the New Testament, not for the secret, the special, the privileged, the in-crowd. Paul contends in Colossians about those who are having ecstatic, marvelous, wonderful encounter with God and saying, we must be particularly special or favored. He says, no, that's not the gospel. It's not the gospel. This is for all people. All people. You see, we, we tend towards exclusivity all too often. We like to, to have in our mind of those who belong and those who do not, those who feel themselves at the center and those who feel that they're on the edge and unwelcome. And this is one of the things that the Spirit does in Pentecost and revolutionizes, turns all of our human proclivity to say it's about those who are like me, those who are in, and explodes it. See, the Spirit coming at Pentecost flings wide the doors and they flash out onto the street, declaring that all are welcome and no one is kept away. No longer told it's just the Israelites, no longer told it's just the privileged few. 
because the Lord breaks out over us and for us to all people. Now, obviously, there's, there's more going on in Pentecost, just very quickly. One of the more, one of the more is this, that uh, they each heard from every nation in their own native tongue, astonished and amazed. They said, are not these Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in our own native languages? Pentecost is about the giving of the law of thanksgiving for God's provision. And God adds to that and says, I will pour out my spirit. Back in Genesis, we won't read the story in chapter 11, there was the Tower of Babel. Do you remember that story? The Tower of Babel was an initiative by the people then to say, let's build an amazing tower and we can be just like God. We can be, everyone will think we're amazing. And, and God sees their arrogance and scatters them. And we're told one of the things that happens in that moment is that he confuses language. All the language teachers in our school rejoice at that moment. They'd be out of jobs if we, we all spoke the same. <laughs> I wish we did. Struggling with French and all that. One of the things about Acts and Pentecost is the reversal of, uh, of, of what was scattered, people scattered, separated, ethnic division, distinction and hostility. That all of these peoples from all over the known world, from all those places that they could say, well, here, here, here on their encyclopedia, their map. Now they were hearing the praise of Jesus in their own language. There's a significance in that, in the reversal of Babel. The reversal of saying, well, it's all now focused on Abraham, chapter 12 of Genesis now through the working out of the story of the man of faith, Abraham, through the page after page, century after century, pointing towards Jesus, now the undoing of the scattering and the animosity and the ethnicity and the racial boundaries and divisions, saying that now in Jesus, a new dawn has broken. Not so much a name for ourselves, but as we've sung, what a beautiful name of Jesus. And still that missionary endeavor catalyzed on that very first Pentecost to go and proclaim the name of Jesus. But they weren't drunk. I suspect Peter and the disciples may have been drunk. They're fishermen. He doesn't say to them, of course we're not drunk. We're never drunk. <laughs> Maybe I'm being sacrilegious. Who knows? Peter raised his voice and addressed the men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you and listen to what I say. We're not drunk, as you suppose, for it's only nine o'clock in the morning. Now this is what was spoken through prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, declares the Lord, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Again, hear the inclusiveness. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. 
Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. This powerful affirmation of the universality of Jesus. This wonderful demonstration of the love of God poured out and the empowering of God for every believer. But also in the announcement of this last day. That not only do we focus on what the Holy Spirit was doing, being poured out, but for those who understood in the prophet Joel, Joel was looking ahead to the day and described it as the last days. When this happens, it will be the last days. And the sign of that will be prophecy on every person, no longer just the few and the special and, uh, and the particularly raised up. This is for all of us in the last days. That's really important to, to grasp that uh, as Phil was preaching this morning about the uh, Palm Sunday and, uh, and of, of that, of that waiting, that anticipation, that longing for God to do a new thing. And Jesus comes and Jesus enters into Jerusalem on a donkey, fulfilling a messianic expectation that it was also a declaration that they, they hadn't heard from God for so long and, the, and their hopes were primed. It was like there was like a, they were like dry kindling waiting for that spark. And we were heard of Judas Maccabees who'd, who'd instigated some rebellion and, and seen something good, but it had been squashed and things were back again. And, and they were waiting. Waiting, 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 because they knew God was going to do something afresh and new. And Jesus comes. And Peter's sermon points them to Jesus. They didn't recognize it. I mean, he's quite stark just in later in this is the man the man handed over to you by god's deliberate plan and foreknowledge with and you with the help of wicked men put him to death by nailing him on the cross and it's quite blunt at the end of the message when the people heard this they were cut to the heart and said brothers what should we do we've crucified the messiah peter says repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. For all for whom the Lord will call. The long waited, the long expected, the long yearned for moment when God would come afresh and bless the world has happened. The God's presence no longer just lofty and lifted up and, and beyond our grasp. Now come down. And Peter and the eleven and the, the dozens more wanted to shout it out and speak it out and tell it from the rooftops and the streets telling about Jesus and what it means for the world. And the Spirit, filled in the Spirit, 
motivated in the Spirit. They were the ones that were transformed into confident proclaimers and those who would go, those who would tell to the end times. Peter says, yeah, the kingdom of God is here. God's presence is here and his saving action is in our midst. This week, I want to remind us this week as we tell the story and, and whether you go on a, an egg hunt in a National Trust property as an Easter or you give out hot cross buns on Friday or you sit with your family and tell the story again, that you do so in the power of the Spirit, the one who has come and fills us and enables us. And maybe... Maybe just be a bit bold. Find someone from another nationality and tell them. Because what was begun at Pentecost is ongoing. In Connect the other week, they were sitting at the um, bus stop, weren't you, Wendy, with a board that says, Easter means to me. And some Japanese tourists were there. And they began to talk a little bit about Easter. And we heard a bit of their story and know that they're going back to Japan with some more understanding of Jesus. Who's up for it? I am, but I'm, I get a bit timid. Let's stand together and ask the Holy Spirit to help us.